0: As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning, I want to remind you of a verse that we've been studying in Proverbs 29, verse number 18, which says, Where there is no revelation, the people perish. So uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, buy truth and never sell it. Do all you can to obtain the truth because the truth is the most valuable commodity on the face of the earth. But not only do we buy truth, we are always to battle for the truth. We are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We are to fight the good fight of the, uh, of the faith, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse number 12. So we are to buy truth. We are to battle for the truth. We are to build on the truth. The Bible says in Acts 20, verse number 32, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. And from that truth, we build our lives. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And how do you build the house? Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. With knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. It's all about the truth. you got to buy the truth. you got to battle for the truth. you got to build on the truth. But you must believe in all that the truth sets. You must believe everything that God says in his word. Because the revelation of God reveals to us who he is. It shows us what he does. And that's what we've been looking at for your life, and for mine. We are never to back down from the truth. We are always to bow before the truth because the truth is given to us by the God who is true. And so therefore we have seen that the word of God is so important that God's word it reveals to us how he shields us and how he shepherds us, how he satisfies us, how he sustains us, how he strengthens us. But even more than all that, the reason he does that, number six, is because he saves us. He saves us. Our God is a savior. He is a redeemer. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. It's a reminder of his memorial name. That he is a redeemer, a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior of his people. That's why when they left Egypt, it was a a physical deliverance from Egyptian bondage to symbolize the spiritual deliverance that God would give all of his people who believe in him from Satan's bondage. We're set free to live for the glory and honor of our king. It's true. Where there is no revelation, the people perish. Without the Word of God, the people will perish. We know there's general revelation by looking outside, the stars, the mountains, the grass, the sun, the sky. Everything about the universe is general revelation that exposes God to everyone. But the specific revelation, God's inspired Word, explains God to everyone. It explains him in such a way we know who he is, who the God of the universe is, we know His name, because he's given us His name in His word. And so we celebrate him. But is it not true that where there is no revelation, the people perish. Romans 10:17: "Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by a word concerning the Christ. James 1 tells us that we've been brought forth by the word of the living God. Peter tells us that we're born again with an incorruptible seed, the living and abiding word of God. Without this revelation, people will perish. And so, yes, God shields his own. Yes, God secures his own, sustains his own. He is the one who strengthens his own and satisfies his own. But more than that, he saves his own. That's why he can shield them, protect them, shepherd them, because he saves them. Which brings us to a very important question. What does he save us from? That's very important. Because if you look at most churches in America, most evangelical gospel presentations, they'll tell you that he he saves you maybe from a a purposeless life, to give you a purposeful life. He saves you from feelings of of insecurity to to, to make you now feel secure. He he saves you from all kinds of inadequacies to somehow make you feel adequate in and of yourself. That somehow he does all these things for you today, but not give you the truth Of what he actually saves you from. The Lord God of the universe, he saves you from himself. He saves you from God as judge when you embrace him as your Savior and your Lord. The question was asked in Luke chapter 13 as Jesus was passing through. From one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to go and, and die on Calvary's cross. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few being saved? Are there just a few being saved? Now, why would the question be asked? It would only be asked because there were so few true conversions. There are so few people really following after Jesus. Oh, I'm not talking about the crowds that gathered around because he was popular, because he was the greatest thing going because of his healing ministry. Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. People gathered for that. They gathered to be fed because they were hungry. They would gather to be healed because they were sick. But when it came to a true conversion, there was a question. Is there only a a few being saved? And the unfortunate thing is, is that salvation is not about what you feel in this life. It's about what you'll face in the next life. You either face God as Savior and embrace eternity with Him, or face God as judge and spend eternity in hell away from Him. And so it's very important that you understand what it means that without a revelation, the people perish. The revelation of God in his saving, miraculous work. And the interesting thing is that when Jesus is asked this question, he doesn't say, you better pray this prayer or you better walk this aisle, or you better come to the seventh verse of just as I am, or you're in big trouble. In fact, he says something, listen to this, so incredibly different than what we normally hear, it should raise all kinds of red flags in your mind if what he says does not ring true in your life. In other words, what Jesus says is so incredibly different than what we normally say when we present the gospel that we think that what Jesus says is wrong and what we say is right. But we've got it wrong because Jesus is the master evangelist. He didn't get it wrong. He got it right. So what did Jesus say? He said, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When was the last time you heard that in a gospel presentation? Strive to enter agonize, agonizomai, which means to, to fight. It's used in 1 Timothy 6. It's used three times by the Apostle Paul. You've got to fight to get into the kingdom. You say, wait a minute, hold on now. I thought salvation was by grace through faith. I thought all I had to do was believe in Jesus. I'm in. Oh, who told you that? You didn't hear that here. You didn't hear that from anybody who preached the true gospel. You see, we have heard the gospel presentation wrong for so many years that when we hear Jesus say it, we think Jesus is wrong because we think we are right. But Jesus isn't wrong. Can't be. He invented the gospel. He is the gospel. Everything about the gospel is around Jesus. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, Who are the many? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 7, it says this, verse number 13 Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The the road to hell is a broad road that actually says this is the way to heaven, but it's a road to destruction. Satan doesn't paint the road to hell with fire and brimstone. He paints it with false teachers and a false gospel. To think you're on the narrow road, but in reality, you're not. So Jesus says, you got to enter through the narrow gate. It's a narrow way. And there are how many? Few that be that find it. So when you come to Luke 16, someone asked the question, Jesus, are there only a few being saved? And Jesus says that of the few of Matthew chapter 7 who find the narrow gate, listen carefully, the many of the few who get there, even fewer get in. Now, how does that sit with your gospel presentation? How does that set with what you have believed about Jesus? Of the few that get to the gate, the many of those few will never get in. You know why? Because they don't want to pay the price to enter glory. What's the price? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's my life for God's life. You see, I'm giving my life away. That's why over in in the ninth chapter of Luke, Christ had already said this. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is has the man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You see, Christ says to follow me. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Salvation is all about self-denial. It's all about self-sacrifice. It's all about submission. It's all about surrender. That's why Paul said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am crucified with Christ. My life has died. I've given my life away to the Lord Jesus. He is my Savior. So important. That's why without a revelation, the people perish. We need to make sure that we give people an undiluted gospel because a diluted gospel damns people to eternal hell. You must make sure that you tell them exactly what Jesus said so they would come to realize their need for a Savior. When you come to the door, the narrow door, there's a war for your soul. A great war. The war of of my own selfishness. My self-love, my self-desires, my way versus God's way. And there's a war at the door of eternity that takes place where I surrender my life to his and I give my life away that I might obtain his life. That's what we do when we partake of the Lord's table. This is my life. This bread symbolizes my life. I've given it away for you, that you might obtain my life. You can't go into the kingdom holding on to the things of the world. That's why of the few that finally arrive at the door, the many of the few, even fewer, get in. So important to understand that. And I think that what has happened today is that most churches have sold people the wrong message and given them a message that takes them away from the truth instead of embracing the truth. We've made salvation so easy, and Jesus made it so hard. Why is it we want to make it so easy when Jesus said, you know what, it is difficult to get in. You just don't get on the Jesus bandwagon and believe in some of the things that Jesus said and say, hey, I'm in. It doesn't work that way. You must understand the gospel presentation. There must be a true biblical repentance from my iniquity. Without that, there is no entrance into glory. That's what John the Baptist preached. Remember back in Luke chapter 3? Turn back there with me if you would for a second. Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is the voice crying in the wilderness, right? Fulfilling the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The wilderness is the sinful heart of man. It's dry. It's parched. and so desperate in need of living water. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled. Every darkness of your soul, every depth that's filled with darkness will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. Everything that makes you proud and arrogant will be torn down. The crooked will become straight every deceptive way, every devious way, every evil way will be made straight. And the rough roads, smooth. Roads filled with all kinds of garbage, the garbage of self-love, the garbage of self-sufficiency, the garbage of me being my own God, looking my own way. And the prophet said these words, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Only those who repent God's way only see the salvation of the Lord. Without the revelation of God, people perish. But happy is a man who keeps the law of God. Oh, how important is that? And so Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem to die on Calvary's cross, Ask the question, are there just a few being saved? Do you think Jesus knows how many? I believe so. I know so. He knows the exact number. He doesn't give a number. He says, you better make sure you're in. Strive to enter. Why do you strive to enter? Well, he tells you in chapter 12, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I've come to divide families. I've come to divide human relationships because relationship with me is more important than any earthly relationship. And I've come to divide those. And when you come to the door, if you're one of the few who finds the door of that few, many will never get in because most are unwilling to give up a physical relationship. It means more to them than their eternal destiny. And God says, I've come to divide families. Are you good with that? He would say over in Luke chapter 16, look at this. Verse number 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Whoa! What do you mean you're trying to force your way into the kingdom? I thought you just waltzed into the kingdom. I thought you just kind of fell on a cloud into the kingdom just because you believed a a set of rules about Jesus or saw some commandments about God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Just kind of waltzed my way right into heaven. Jesus said, no. The gospel of the kingdom is being preached. And guess what? People are forcing their way in. Why? Because there is a battle going on, and the battle's for your soul. The battle's for your soul. And there's a war that takes place in the inner part of a man. It's the war that says, well, I? am I willing to lose my life that I might live? Or am I willing to keep my life and lose? For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul. And then over in Luke chapter 14, before that, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, hey, it's so good to have you. Come on down. Let me do a few more miracles for you. Let me feed those of you who are hungry. Those of you who are thirsty, guess what? I'll give you some water. That's not what he said. Large crowds, thousands of people, not a couple of 100 here, a couple of We're talking thousands of people. We're talking drones of people following Jesus. He's the greatest show on earth. Of course you're going to follow Jesus. He heals everybody. So what's he say? Anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple he cannot be a follower of me he cannot be one who enters my kingdom and then he says this whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my follower cannot be my learner cannot be my disciple He sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. If you're holding on to the world, if you're holding on to people in the world, if your physical family means more to you than me, if what you own means more to you than me, if who you are means more to you than me, you're not getting in. Can't. Because that would mean that there wasn't true biblical repentance. And what is repentance? It's renouncing my life, my sin, my way, and embracing all that God is and following Him. It's turning around. Going one direction, turning around and going back to follow Christ, to serve only him. That's true biblical repentance. And that's what God demands from his people. A.W. Pink, who preached for many years. In 1937, he was isolated for 12 years in Scotland by himself because nobody ever wanted him to come preach at their church or conference ever again because he preached this message. He died in isolation, 12 years of isolation because no one wanted to hear the message of the cross. We love the cushy, comfy, cozy Christianity. Nobody likes a cross-bearing Christianity. But there's only one kind of Christianity. It's a cross-bearing Christianity. So Mr. Pink says these words. The terms of Christ's salvation are erroneously stated by the present-day evangelist. Remember, this is 1937. With very rare exceptions, he tells his hearers that salvation is by grace and is received as a free gift, that Christ has done everything for the sinner and nothing remains except for him to believe, to trust in the infinite merits of his blood. And so widely does this conception now prevail in orthodox circles. So frequently has it been dinned in their ears so deeply has it taken root in their minds that for one to now challenge it and denounce it as being so inadequate and one-sided as to be deceptive and erroneous is for him to instantly court the stigma of being a heretic and to be charged with dishonoring the finished work of Christ by inculcating salvation by works Salvation is by grace and by grace alone. Nevertheless, divine grace is not exercised at the expense of holiness. For it never compromises with sin. It is also true that salvation is a free gift. But an empty hand must receive it and not a hand which still tightly grasps the world. A heart that is steeled in rebellion, cannot savingly believe, it must first be broken. Those preachers who tell sinners they may be saved without forsaking their idols, without repenting, without surrendering to the lordship of Christ, are as erroneous and dangerous as others who insist that salvation is by works and that heaven must be earned by our own efforts. Oh, he was so right. So right. And over the course of time, the gospel has become more and more diluted. Churches become filled with all kinds of people. And we tell them, come on in. Yeah. You believe in Jesus, you're in. When in reality, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith in Christ? What does it mean to to receive God's grace as a gift of eternal life? can never happen apart from repentance. A gift that God grants to those who come to him by faith, right? Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Belief is a gift. It's all a gift. So if it's a gift, it makes no difference what God demands. Because if it's a gift that God grants, whatever the demands are, those who have received the gift meet the demands because it's been granted to them by the Father above. So important. A true biblical repentance from iniquity leads, leads to number two, a vital realization of the urgency. But that's for next week. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to Look into your word this morning as brief as it is. To be able to examine our own lives in light of what your word says. Our prayer, Lord, is that no one would be here today without ever having forsaken their life to embrace their father's life. Our prayer, Father, as we partake of the Lord's table, we would be reminded of the great sacrifice. In order for us to enter into glory. For that we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.